The RC Podcast is brought to you by Cook Lens, makers of the 5i, S4 and Pancros, all handcrafted to give you the famous Cook look, but with the latest innovations and technology such as lens eye data. For more information, go to cookoptics.com. You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking and cutting edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC number 90, and uh, back from his travels yet again, Jason Wingrove. For a you? moment, how are you? For a moment, literally, you're only here for what, another couple, couple of days? Yeah, and a couple of days, stage off, three. off again for another couple of weeks, yeah. So it's nice to be back here, see you in person, this beautiful sunny Sydney morning. Yes, we've been underground, but we're going to get to that, uh, the underminer, we're going to get to that later <laughs> in the, um, in the uh, episode. What we're going to be discussing this week amongst other things we have a really interesting uh, catch up over a fiat spot that was done a two and a half or two nearly three minute spot done uh for um the launch of the fiat back into the american market after many years uh, absence which was shot on a whole lot of interesting things coming up mm-hmm. later in the show from uh, um motion theory but also uh we're going to be devoting a lot of the show after the news to discussing lenses because we've we, as we always said, we really like getting your feedback. We had a number of people that have sent in um, kind of requests saying we'd really like to hear more about your lens choices and stuff. So I'm about to go on a trip and shoot. Uh, you've come back from two trips and about to go on a third. Mm-hmm. We figured now's a good time to talk about lenses. Um, mm. So we'll do that in the show. But let's start, as we always do, with the news. And now, the RC News. So, look, I think... Again, this is probably, I know I have been away, but there hasn't been an awful lot of, you've been here most of the time, Mike, hasn't been a ton of news pouring in, has there? Well, a bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, well, Pirate, probably this is closer to your home for you, Mike, because you've seen it and I haven't, is Pirates 4, I guess, is out, which was, uh, um, I guess, one of, that was uh, first one of the stereo red one shoot, I guess stereo one of the more one. notable ones. Interestingly, a lot of people don't like this film. I think they don't like it, or it hasn't gone particularly well at the box office, like as in Stella. It's yeah. gone fine, I'm sure. No, I've, but, I've heard nothing but good. Well, I know, but I think the thing is people didn't like the third one, and that kept people away from the fourth one. Mm. But the fourth one's much more just a normal pirate movie, and as such, it's a good romp, and I enjoyed it, and it was shot on the red, and it looks good, I reckon. It's missing just one important ingredient. No, it, it has the Fonzie of the series in the central role. <laughs> yeah. That, you're saying it's yeah. missing its... Uh, it's it's missing the... Um, um, Richie Cunningham? No. Uh, I'm trying to think of the Happy Days analogy for that. Potsy? Uh, no, because Potsy was there till the end. No, no. Missing Kira no, this Knightley. Is, this is, it's missing the Kira well, Knightley. Well, I know it's missing Kira Knightley, but this is, you know, the classic case of the uh, comic sidekick relief cool guy becoming the centre of attention. Right, so it's not entirely... with that. Okay, so it's still definitely worth, worth, worth a look. And no doubt yeah, looks totally. good. The trailer certainly looks amazing from what I've seen. It looks utterly gorgeous and sharp and clean and crisp and, uh, and how's the 3D and all that? I, I think it's great. Uh, I think it's fine. Like a couple of people um, I've read have sort of commented, uh, look, it recesses back quite a lot because it's not playing for gags which i mm-hmm. think is the current thinking and it, as such it works well yeah um i've got to say that i guess for me personally like i guess anyone's listening to this show you you know you're torn between watching the film and watching it technically mm. I, I mean i did in especially in the opening section or maybe third where there's a lot of interiors and darks i think it was really really good but you know keith richards comes on scene and uh <laughs> you know does this face look like i've been to the fountain of youth and i'm like all in the story and don't really give a rat's right up until the 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 last line of darling if i if you had a sister and a dog i'd choose the dog 
<laughs> a worst English accent ever, but there you go. Good, I, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. It's a good film. Okay, good. Well, it's definitely, it's definitely on the list. Everyone I know who's, who's seen it has said, yes, it's a must-see. So, And as I say, from what, at least the trailer, by going by the trailer, it looks looks gorgeous. So um, um, there's been no real sort of change in the look, going from shifting pirates from, from 35 to, to red. But obviously for 3D it uh, was a bit of a must. Have a listen to the VFX show because it's it's interesting from an effects point of view how much it's changed. It's actually changed more from an effects point of view for almost than anything else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was good. Cool. Uh, well, talking of uh, films shot on uh, red or now to be to be epic, Total Recall, which I'm quite excited about because the first Total Recall was utter pants. Um, Total Recall, the reboot, I guess you'd call not really reboot. I guess it's back to the original sort of text. I suppose you'd call reimagining. It version. Reimagining. Thank you of Total Recall uh, is going to shoot uh, Epic. No word whether that's 2D or 3D. I think it might be 2D, uh, although I'm sure the pressure will be on to do uh, 3D. Well, there is arguments that 3D is now hurting 2D because mm. of the fact that they're not getting the 2Ds running as bright as they should Right. because they leave the 3D glass on when they're not in 2D mode, mm. so it's actually hurting 2D films, but that's another matter. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's essentially started principal photography anyway, so it's a little bit too late to go starting changing 2D, 3D. But uh, I think this could you be... could always just re-dimensionalise uh, well, it. I which... guess we've seen in the past. And I've got to say, some of the dimensionalisation we've seen lately, and I'm looking forward yeah. to Priest in this respect, but some right. of the dimensionalisation is looking so good now. Yeah, particularly I think Green Lantern we saw was just um, very impressive. Yeah. Um, green Lantern, Green Hammer, Green Green Fountain, Green <laughs> Green Goblin. Sorry. Yep. So that this uh, is to be directed by Len Wiseman, who did Die Hard Four and Underworld, and Paul Cameron uh, is the DP who shot, who's uh, an often uh, collaborator collaborator with Tony Scott, having shot uh, Deja Vu, which is quite a cool film, and the awesome man on fire so it's in good hands and what the cool thing i think is they're shooting with uh now i'm not sure what i have to find out is what sort of preset they're set uh, what sort of uh, resolution they're shooting at because they're going to shoot uh with anamorphic lenses shooting with the older c-series glass which is just sensational if you want that classic kind of um you know the blue flares a beautiful sort of um, 80s kind of anamorphic kind of john carpentery kind of die hard flare look then uh, the c series are just fantastic for this um uh, beautiful beautiful glass these are these are kind of like handmade these these things and they're sort of almost every lens kind of doesn't even add up to you have two 35 mil uh, c series and they're not going to not, almost gonna, not going to match because they're kind of very unique. You almost have to build your kit from from scratch. They're hard to find around the world. Panavis- uh, this older glass, older scope glass from Panavision is really kind of like hen's teeth. One production will fire up and they'll basically suck all of those glass from around all of those lenses from around the world. Will just head to one um, head to one one production and you'll never get them. But uh, awesome, awesome glass. So I'm very, very interested to see what that's going to look like. It's uh, clearly. Um, well, these guys on board, uh, it's going to be uh, really interesting. I'm just going with the epic, though. What's, what what, uh, what resolution are you going to be able to shoot that? That If you're shooting anamorphic, just shoot five full 5K and then... Hmm. Uh, Perhaps I, there's a resolution as yet unavailable to us mere mortals. Option. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. I don't think I can actually comment on that. Okay. Because of the version I'm running. Moving on. Moving on. Excellent. Can I do all... Because we've been... 
yes. borrowing from Mr. Indeed. I, I was going to mention the very same thing if not, if you didn't. Go, Go right it. ahead. Uh, are you talking about um, Stu's uh, guest, exper- guest, guest appearance on... Um, mostly Photo. On Mostly Photo, yes, which is uh, Leo Laporte's new... Or rebooted, I suppose, whatever you want to call a uh, photo. Why so rebooted? Well, he, didn't, he started off having a bit of a photo, a photo photograph, um, and then that sort of... What was it called? I can't remember. Oh, okay. Um, I, didn't, I didn't... Anyway, there's been a lot of sort of shuffling around of the if, sort of... If this show is always as good as the show that Stu was on, I'm watching it every week. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, it is... Okay, where well, we Lisa going? Lisa on it as well, right? Yeah, okay. So, yes, Lisa Bettany and Leo, and obviously they have a revolving sort of uh, revolving door of guests uh, coming in. And it's really, I think, it is sorely needed to be, uh, I guess, a a photography podcast that sort of goes a little bit beyond the sort of manpa, happy snap fun. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, other stuff out there that's a little bit too. um, uh, lowbrow, a little bit too simplistic. I mean, for me, I guess I'm sure there's a, there's obviously there's a need for for all of them. But if you're if you're hankering for something that's a little bit more um, uh, beyond the usual um, lowbrow stuff that's out there, this is a, an excellent one. And and Stu, of course, as you know, Stu's contribution was um, he was on fire, fantastic. It was really really good. And you know, it didn't was obviously wasn't just photography. It was uh, talking about um, uh, obviously video, talking about epic, mentioning mentioning yourself. Um, talking about uh, Lightroom, color grading, Magic right. Bullet. You know, so it was, it was really obviously it was, it was about um, still Zen video and getting the most have out I, of the post I told of you both that of Because them. I was filming with Stu in New Zealand that I've been converted to Lightroom. Right. Excellent. Good. Yes, that's right. You have. I have been converted to Lightroom. Yeah. It's got, I'm, I, think I, did, I have not I converted I, my files over from... I have run both now. Right. I, but one has become Aperture. I don't use for new photos now. Mm-hmm. I think that whole universe of the Lightroom thing is expanding. I think there's there's a lot of stuff coming from what I hear that's going to be really cool for video and Lightroom and, and for people if you use DSLR and for that sort of kind of um, – if you like the way sort of Lightroom works, then I think hopefully they'll work. Because at the moment Lightroom doesn't take video, way. right? It loaded in. But doesn't do anything. And just as part of a cataloging process, yeah. you can keep it there, but it won't – yeah, you can't do any of the uh, – uh, you can't do any of the grading or processing. Can't sort of take it into the li- into the um, into the lab. So, but no, it's uh, it's terrific show. So it was great. Definitely, that's worth worth um, uh, worth checking that that episode out. And you know, and and just subscribe to that podcast. Let's support it. It's terrific. So thanks to Lisa and Leo for getting uh, Stu on, and thanks for Stu for doing it. And it just proves what an incredibly impressive person he is. Okay, that concludes the uh, Stu Love Fest uh, part of the program. Moving on. Lenses. So we wanted to have a chat about lenses. Uh, I tweeted during the week that I succumbed to my cravings. I've been very good, Jace, in, in doing lots of things that I should be doing. I'm exercising more. I'm eating healthily. I'm, I'm no longer hanging out the side of helicopters risking my life. But I just I have a weak spot, uh, as many of us do. Um, somebody even tweeted back, you're amongst friends, Mike. Um, I bought the uh, 85 1.2. Mm. 
But I, the only thing in my defence, it was second hand, so it only cost me fifteen hundred bucks. Yes, you got a bit of a deal there. It's Somebody a, bought it's it. Quite an expensive. Never piece bought of the five D that was going to be attached to the back of it. Yeah. So they sold. Look, it. I've been ping ponging on this whole thing about glass. What to do? Because you know, at the end of the day, it does start to become this sort of gateway drug. To you know, one starts with a fast, nice fast fifty, whatever it be, and then you end up sort of before you know it, you turn around, and you spent I don't know ten thousand dollars on glass, and you think, how you're, did that you're not happen? That number or up, or yeah. more, yeah. or possibly more, and. Um, All right. What's it? What's uh, and it? so it comes to that point where you ch- decide. You know, I'm starting to use this stuff as a hybrid stuff. I'm going to use it. You know, potentially for uh, um, uh, video and for stills. Which way do you go? Do you go? I guess you know. Again, this is going to be a bit of a horses for courses discussion anyway. Because if you, I guess it depends how much stills you want to do and how much pro sort of video, uh, how much sort of fo- pro motion shooting you're going to do. If you're going to do. If you're going, if you're building a kit that's primarily to do sort of more low-end TVC, or you know, be sh- then maybe you know the Zeiss EDs and stuff like that are a good choice. Where you have, you know, it's mechanical. You're not worrying so much about a uh, autofocus. You're not going to be putting it on your stills camera all the time, and you're going to be using it more on set with a f- focus puller. And he's going to want you know nice proper gearing on the lens is not going to want to dick around with zip tie lens gears all around the gla- all around the lens and um, so that sort of um, is probably a bit more of a sensible choice if you're going that way well so I'd like to turn the spotlight on you mm. and 10 questions okay so question number one in my 10 questions about lenses because there is no right or wrong answer to these things I know yeah no there is so we're going to talk about it's our personal be opinion. personal opinions zoom or primes because I got I got bitch slapped by John Montgomery when I was he was teasing me that I I buy primes he was like but why because mm. it, again it depends on your shooting I've gone primes on this last project and um, on the whole project or just the last button on the whole project, project right, uh, okay. before I even started it was a conscious uh, I did uh, this. I guess it's sort of ongoing, not ongoing, but I, d- I did a sort of a, l- a bit of work for for this same client uh, a year or so ago, and it was a little bit more interview based, where I was, you know, asking questions, and I wanted to be able to intercut that footage quickly without having jump cutting. So I knew I wanted maybe every sentence or two to be able to reframe, and rather than you know, constantly be moving the camera with a prime. I, it was a conscious right. choice to use use zooms so that I could literally be very quickly just every 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 uh, every time they put a pause in their conversation, I could just change the framing slightly so that if I did want to cut out the longer part of a middle sentence and cut and make a sound bite out of a longer out of a longer a longer train of thought, then I could do so without doing jump cuts. So that was. Uh, you know, if you're doing interviews um, or where clearly just the, the short amount of time of a minute or so to change lenses is a little bit too long or you don't want to interrupt their train of thought or stop and start an interview, then zooms are the go. But I can, there is a definite difference in the look from, you know, the 2.8 that you can get out of most of the, the Canon zooms or most zooms and and wide open on a prime. Um Definite distance. So is it just is speed? It... Because let's say, I mean, I, I love this 85. It's mm. 1.2. But yeah. obviously I have a 70 to 200. I've said that before. Yeah. So I had 85 covered. I couldn't. I could easily do framing on an 85. Yeah, yeah. On a zoom. I just. But, you know, my thing is, 
if I've got a 70 to 200, I'm either at 70 or I'm at 200. Yeah. I'm almost exactly. never at 85 or 130 Exactly. Same with the 16 whatever. to 35. I had a Canon 16 to, 30, 16 to 35. I just sold it because I found that I was always either at 16 or 35. I've now got the Takina 11 to 16, which is terrific, but it's nice and wide. And I've got the Canon 35.14, which is terrific. And, it's, well, you know, it's 1.4. So I've got both ends of those covered. And I know but at I'm not going to But at 35, you're now down at 1.4. Before at 35, you're at, what, 2.8? Exactly. That's right. So, look, it's, it's a conscious effort to trade that downtime of lens changing for a nicer look. And, you know, I mean, obviously the whole shallow depth of field is a, is a can of worms and it's a pain, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's pain for a reason. There is a payoff for it if you get it right. So I mean, my, my answer to John, who, you know, I jokingly said, bitch, something about this, but uh, obviously I respect John's opinion enormously. But I think my honest opinion is for me personally, there's a discipline that comes from – I can be a bit of a slacker. Let's say I had a 24 to 105 kit lens kind of thing, right? I could, or maybe I wouldn't now, but I would have in the day when I was early on just got any shot that I could get on that zoom. But do you think I'd have taken a step left or right or up or down? I mean, no. I'd have dicked around between 24 and 105. Exactly. And I would have been up at something like 3.8 or something, nothing, you know, nice, f4 or something. And, and I would have got it all from the height of my head, which is at about six feet, right? Mm. So that's it. And, you know, now, when I go to a zoom, I can do that, of course. But when I go to a prime, on a reframe, I have to start moving. And yeah. suddenly, the fact that my feet are not glued to the ground means I see new angles I didn't see before. And yeah. I've become much more like I'm going to be the moving platform. It makes you think. And we've talked about this a, lot, a long time this before on the show. There's that sort of subconscious... There's there's a definite sort of different mental process from when you've got a prime on the lens on the camera to to a zoom. You become a little bit more. You, you'll start to think about the image and your framing a little bit more, and you think about your lens choice beforehand a little bit more. And you can you have to walk to make that frame right rather than just do the lazy zoom in. And there is something very different in that subconsciously in that process that I don't know makes your image better but also obviously for me it's shallow it's it's about it's about the speed and and it's really really lovely particularly on the 5D to have a wide lens drop off you know and a, a say a 35mm at 2.8 it just looks like an average shot but the 35mm 1.4 you stop that what you get wide open and you get this wonderful drop off on wide lenses that's what's wonderful about the you know the more you go down to your tight end you've got there's less of a difference between a 7d say between you know super 35 and full frame the wider you go that's where that difference is between five full frame and and super 35 or 7d and a 5d it's the white that white getting okay. shallow drop off on a wilder wider field of view question two you go for one two one four on a canon lens because you can yeah sure do you care that, that purists argue that it's sharper at f4? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't. I hear this all the time, and I go, somebody show me the photo. It may be sharper. I mean, it, I guess it depends. There's, there's, a, there's an argument for this, and there is definitely an argument for that whole... I mean, it's not necessarily for getting to the sweet spot of lens or anything, but it's more for the fact... If you've got a, an interesting shot that has a lot of background detail and part of the joy of the shot is mm. all of the sort of amazing... The cathedral you're in with. Exactly, the, yeah. the cathedral versus, you know, the, the soft field of flowers. If you really want to have 
if if that detail and that fine detail is part of the amazing you know the, the joy of that shot then then you pro- you, know, you do want you don't want to have shallow depth and you do want to have every every corner of the frame sharp i've seen it uh, just when i jump to my Tokina 11 to 16 I don't have an ND that because it's so wide I don't have a variable ND that covers that lens so I'm forced forced to stop down like a normal human and go and, and when I sort of skip through the rushes and I see that the Tokina comes up and it's like bam whoa that's sharp and it's not just because it's a big wide frame that where everything is sharp it's it's with a lot of detail in it it's just the fact that I have been forced to stop down to uh, f8 or whatever versus one two you know okay but, but the thing about the sharpness thing is also uh, in my in my book i think subconsciously the softer the background gets the more the sharper that the stuff that the is sharp looks. feels you know what i mean i i, I also maybe do think so, sharpness can be overrated yeah but i do i think it is not i think with 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 footage Although I know that with stills that I shoot um, in Lightroom, I'll always just put a little bit of the sharpening back in, and probably the same on um, on you know in, in Final Cut with my footage, I'll probably just put a little bit of sharpening back in. You know, okay, not- so you're going to some interesting place that you go to, like France, Mozambique, South Africa, wherever it is. Whatever. But you're going to go out, so you're not shooting to an assignment. You're going to go out and get some shots. Related to that Zoom question, the assignment would be. We have a person, and this is their four words to say. Yeah, so but, but it's not like you. It's not like a, you're in a studio in a fully exactly. They're in an interesting place. They're in an interesting. Yeah. They're interesting place. Or an How many lenses are you taking with you? I'm taking, I guess, it's five or six. The Eleven to sixteen, twenty-four, one four, thirty-five, one four. This is both. This is uh, Canon L glass. The Canon L uh, 85 1.2 and that is it i've left all my zooms at home i've left the 70 to 200 at home sold the 16 to 35 and yeah i'm changing lenses a lot and it's in dusty environments i'm down mines and you know in where they're blasting rock and it's just like you're literally hundreds uh, of meters below ground yeah, yeah absolutely you know where you know dust is an issue and i probably should be having every you know and rather than be sitting here talking to you i should be sta- sitting in the canon service center waiting room while they completely clean all my gear <laughs> but uh, uh, uh i you know i'm and and you know the sun's going down and i'm changing lenses but i'm happy to take that you know hit i've got you know just a little simple little sling bag i don't have a whole ton of crew standing around i've literally got my shoulder rig and five or six in a little shoulder but five or six lenses in the shoulder bag and it's just literally i've got every single one of the to minimize the changeover a little bit i guess i've got every single one of the lenses got um all the step down rings is to a common 82 mil so i've got an 82 mil very nd and i just changed the very nd if i wanted to be quicker i suppose i could go and buy five or six very nds and put them all on that's an expensive hit but it would probably save me a bit more time and save the risk of dropping a 200 dollar filter and uh, slicing someone's head open as i drop it from some gantry crane 300 above 300 foot above the above the above the ground I, but, I have, but it's you know that's probably about as long as it takes. Swap a lens and change a filter. So I have a thirty-five, a fifty, and an eighty-five. That's my base kit now. Yeah. And then depending on where I'm going, I'll either add the twenty, because I have a twenty that is an L glass. A twenty. Yes, not L glass. Two zero. Two zero, and it's the killer lens for picking up textures. Almost no lens distortion. Or, uh, non, non non L Canon. Yes, no, they actually do make non L glass. 
That's <laughs> really good. No, it's interesting. It's, um, it's, that's a good size, But I also actually. have an 8, which I use, which is a complete fisheye for doing HDR textures. So yeah. both the 20, if I know I'm getting textures, the 8, if I'm doing HDR, definitely uh, goes in the bag. The other end of the spectrum... I don't go past 85, but if I'm worried about weight, I might swap the 85 for the 100. Having said that, I only just got the 85, so... I'm you got a 100 as well? I've got 100. Is that again. an L? No, it's not no, L. No, L. But again, if I want to go lightweight somewhere, mm. that was a solution. But to tell you the truth, what I do now is I don't use the, the... If I think I need to go long, I take the 70 to 200 and the doubler because I've got to tell you, right. there's, there are wildlife things where... 400 mil gets you the headshot on a grizzly bear when you want to be far enough away that <laughs> you yes. can get that shot to run. Yeah, when you're shooting video and you can't, you know, obviously just blow up the image um, in Yeah, in you post. can't blow up the image because it's yeah. unblow-uppable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've shot wildlife and I definitely love 200 and 400 for that. Yeah. Um, but, again, so that end at the 8 and at the other end at the 200, 400, they're... They're on a per-job basis. So I'm walking down the street in an unusual location. I want the 35. Oh, and there's one other. I've got a 14 uh, tilt and shift, which I kind of... Oh, uh, yes. Oh, sorry. I, missed, I forgot a lens. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, go you on, keep going. Uh, 45 mil uh, tilt and shift. See, I wish I'd bought that. I bought the 14 mm. thinking it would be cooler. But yeah. you've got to... It's, it's actually not very obviously tilty and shifty. Yes, it's more for architectural correction and yes. it probably probably excellent for time-lapse Lilliput land, sort of making everything look miniature. Yeah, no, no, maybe not. It doesn't shift enough. It doesn't it shift doesn't enough. Because sh- it's so wide, it doesn't shift enough. stuff enough mm-hmm. out of focus. You're just getting interesting yeah. perspective correction. Yeah, it's F4. But yeah. I don't regret having it. Mm. I just, if I was buying it again, I'd have bought the one you bought. Uh, there's also the I think there's another one in there. There's a there is. 24 I think. Yeah. 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 But if you really want the effect, 45 I think is really. Having said that, you know, nice. I, without the shift and tilt, that 14 is awesome. Yeah. And I've shot yeah, just as a 14. 14. Mil. Yeah, but it's yeah. A bit heavy and bulky. For yeah. Me. Okay. Uh, I can do actually. I'm going to do one correction with one of my lenses, the 11 to 16. Obviously. Yeah. I'm going to jump back a little bit to when I started with is is that forward thinking of buying lenses of looking to obviously what am I going to use these lenses for? I could have gone starting because I've shot a bit of stuff with the, the the Zeiss ZEs, which are wonderful mechanical, very built like a brick shed house um, metal cine style lens that would be terrific if that's you're going to be your if that's going to be your kit but i'm thinking forward to when perhaps i probably have a, an epic and it's going to have an active cannon mount and i figured well for run and gun stuff like this i'll have the l glass and i'll use it with the cannon mount and with the epic if i want to shoot anything more pro than that i'll swap to the pl mount and rent glass because that Wait, kind so of now you've addressed my next question because my next question was well and two next questions are one is L-Glass worth it? Mm. And two, uh, is it worth it buying Canon over, you know, yeah, an off-market? Mm. Well, see, you know, I'm not a sort of combat sort of war kind of pro photographer that, you know, has had a, lot, a ton of experience with the L-Glass versus other things. Uh, I, know, I know that, you know, I've been shooting in some quite horribly dusty uh, and... Um, 
hmm, hostile-ish areas where I haven't seen and my lenses haven't because of the, one of the main reasons from L from non L you know I'm sure someone will ping me and tell me this is not quite right but it's the understanding is the sealing of the le- of the lenses there's a rubber seal on the back of them and obviously all of the all of the areas where dirt is going to be sucked in as you focus or as you zoom it's all sort of protected and sealed from the elements a lot more than a regular sort of little plastic fantastic Um, so for that point of view, I guess I'm I'm happy to pay for that. I mean, the only other thing is I'm paying for the speed. It's a purely being, it's just wide open bokeh porn cash. You know, I, just I, throwing money at getting that little tiny, yeah. possibly imperceptible difference between say a fifty mil one point four and a fifty mil one point two. I know you've done some. I've seen some stills you've done where there's an awful, not an awful lot in it in the beauty. There states. is not a lot in it, but no, it is build quality. I mean. Here's the thing. I would say if it wasn't a 50, I'd say you're mad to buy the 50L glass because the difference between the 1.4 and 1.2 is not no, worth it. Not if that lens we were talking about was the 85 and there was a you know 1.4, 1.2, I'd take the 1.4 in a heartbeat. Yep. But the 50 is kind of my number one go-to lens. Mm. So it's almost like you've got to spend your money where you use it. I mean, I didn't need – I must have had a rush of blood to the head to buy the 14 because I don't use it very often. Mm. Um, and I thought I would, but that you know I could I could afford to sell that one, and it wouldn't kill me. I don't think I need the money that badly right now, but you know I could. The, the th- fifty, yeah. I can't. I just use it all the time. Fifty was my well is and was I mean, probably for a C, for all the C stuff. I probably would have just gone out and just grabbed body fifty mil. That's it, done it. And I have done it. There's multiple C where I've done it just with that lens. Having got the 35 1.4 and gone out there, I really quite like that now, partly because what I'm doing is not just shooting someone's portrait. I'm shooting – I want to sort of have a sense of where they are, to have a little bit more – You're placing them A little bit more field of view behind yeah. them, but still yeah. have that nice shallow depth of field. So that's probably my first one if I'm just sitting in the car about to jump out and go, you know, in charge – I'm going to put that lens on in the kind of don't know what to expect kind of uh, mindset. You know, I'll put it on and think, well, whatever it is, I'm going to be able to get something interesting here because at 1.4, I can do a nice head and shoulder shot of you but get a nice sense of what's behind you uh, while still having a nice, you know, shallow feel. So that's that's <coughs> that's kind of been my more go-to uh, lens on this project. But, yeah, certainly before then, 50mm was probably the so go. So I've got an 8 Sigma and I love it. Would you buy Sigma rather than Canon? I mean, that's my second part. That's you know, uh, number five. No, look, I've investigated that stuff before. Sometimes they haven't quite had the speed. That's probably been the main thing. Okay, if so I've had speed. a chance of sort of, say, the 35 1.8 versus a 35 1.4 Canon, I probably would. I just literally would probably go more for the speed. Not because I know I'm going to be pushing it for light, just because it's going to be shallower depth. I know it's just, you know, pathetic to be such a shallow depth Nazi and, and people are really sort of, you know, there's there's this, there's the thought that shallow focus is, you know, is today's slider shot, you know, or is today's, <laughs> you know, that it's all going to be in six months or a year's time, it's all going to be, you know, very passe and everyone's going to look back at all the shallow focus era we're in now and just scoff. And, you know, the next, you know, and tomorrow, you know, everything in focus will be today's, uh, it will be tomorrow's shallow focus, you know, that, that, that it's a passing fad. But I don't know, I just can't see it. A gorgeous shot, you know, isolating someone from the background so you focus on their face and their emotion and, and the background becomes, 
you know, subconsciously you're aware of it versus, you know, everything being sharp will always be better. It's, you know, well, you can look at photos from 50 years ago and, and shallower depth of field is, is nicer than, 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 than sharp. It just is. Oh, okay. That's my take. Okay, so we're into video uh, only for this question. So uh, PL versus Canon, if mm. you've got something like an Epic or a Scarlet in mind, um, you know, is it... Is it stupid to invest in PL glass because you'll get an active Canon mount or is there a place for PL glass? Well, as I say, the, the re, my investment in it is more for if I'm going to be doing the projects that I'm doing now, but I would be doing obviously every single, virtually every single day I'm shooting with the 5D thinking, damn, wish I had HDR for this, damn, wish I had 120 frames for this and had it all in the one camera and had it all and it's going to fit in the same Pelican case that I'm dragging with me now. So um, the uh, I guess the 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 whole reason for PL would be the fact that I guess I would be getting PL when I have a, a job that pays for that and just swapping the mount on the camera and, and going for that. That's not really answering your question, I suppose, is it? I mean, for me, the thing about the PL is not so much the mount itself. It's the fact that a PL piece of glass tends to be engineered for focus pulling. Yep. So let me ask you question seven. Do well, you also, it's, it, it's heavier. It's yeah, obviously but, way I mean, more expensive. It's not the kind of thing that I want. Glass, it's not, heavy. Yeah, it's not the kind of thing that I want. I I I had the option to take Epic for 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 part of this journey, and I, I chose not to. Partly because I'm sort of partway through the project, but also because it's just you know I, I literally got this little sling bag around my shoulder, and I've got six lenses in it, and I hardly feel it. You know, I've got six lenses, all the memory cards, batteries, everything in there, and I can jump out of the car with my shot, camera rig on one hand and not that I can't do that with Epic but if it was if that was bag was full of you know six ultra primes or master primes mm. you know forget it I, you know there's no way I could walk up a gantry you know a crane or you know negotiate this sort of you know tower of rubble with um, with all that sort of weight on me it's, it comes down to a weight thing I'm shooting everything handheld as well so weight forward and with DSLRs obviously you've got a lot of forward weight um, so it's, it's, it's a practicality issue uh, for me the bigger PL glass is a more studio more controlled more tripod uh, more focus puller based sort of a setup it's a different project to what I'm doing now and obviously the idea is these lenses will be for today's project and you know, you can swap mounts and rent that other stuff for the, for the when when the when the budget comes up for that. Okay, so now obviously you've talked about putting a variable ND on, but if you didn't need a variable ND, mm. when I was getting into photography back as a nipper, everyone used to put a skylight or UV filter on the front of their camera with the mm. theory that it would protect the lens from being scratched. Mm. So, are all your lenses got any kind of nope. sacrificial filter nope. in the front? Nothing. <laughs> no, I don't have anything on there. No, I haven't. Just don't, don't worry about it. I, I, right. I, no, not really. I've never, ever, I, I guess if I was clumsier and I dropped things a whole lot, I probably would worry about it. But I think you're the not, first thing... you at me when you say I think that, the, right? you know, the, I think if you drop it, even with that filter on, if you drop your lens and it's, you know, heads towards the front element of the, the lens, the lens is going to be screwed anyway. It's not going to be necessary because of the front element. You know, everything else is going to be impacted. That's the other thing with that, that the, the L glass versus non-L glass. Not that... Uh, the L, uh, the L glass lenses are you know made out of 
some kind of uh, indestructible unobtainium or anything. But <laughs> the what the fifty mil one point eight, for instance, is an incredibly fragile lens. You just have to sort of knock that against the table, and you know, all of a sudden, the focus gets quite tight and very hard to use, and you have to sort of rebuild them and/or throw them away. But you know, you can probably afford to do that three or four right. times and still be cheap. It still be cheaper exercise than buying the fifty one point two. But they are built to take, you know, built to take the knocks. This is built to be sort of taken into war zone kind of stuff. So it's a build quality thing. I don't, yeah, I don't put any filters on and things. But partly, as I guess, as I say, because I do have the, um, uh, you know, variable ND on there. Even for stills, I'll happily have very. Vari- I'll keep variable variable ND on there just because. Okay. Point nine. Do you rent lenses? People always say, oh, it's really great, you should rent lenses. Hmm. Do you rent lenses? No, not really. I'm, no, I sort of foolishly, I guess, like you, <laughs> you buy the thing that you think is going to be right, and then if it's not, if you don't use it much, you then sort of recycle. Exactly. <laughs> or you just make sure that, you know, you justify it by saying that you've, you know, you've got another, you know, it's, it's helped pay for something else. Would you, so you buy didn't a have lens to buy something hand? else. Uh, I have done in the past, yeah, definitely. I bought f- mainly from, actually from something like B&H and Adorama, I've bought s- pre-loved, pre-owned. They've got, those guys have got massive, have you ever seen, like like the used section on Adorama and, and B&H is sensational. And they grade all the lenses properly. Obviously, everything's inspected and, and checked. This probably goes through more thorough checks than a, a lens straight out the factory floor. And they'll obviously will grade it in terms of how, how good quality it is and ship it to you lovingly. I've, I've definitely bought a few lenses that way. All right. Last question was going to be what's your favorite lens. But as mm. I think we've answered that in, that in passing, mm. I'm going to ask you question 10. Go out tomorrow and you can buy any lens that you haven't got. What are you buying? Oh Is there anything god. left in the in the lens universe that you crave? Oh my god! Um, hmm. Wow. If there was a fil- if stop? there was a stills version of the eight R, a stills version of the um, Zeiss, oh. the Ultra Prime Master 8R. Prime eight R, yeah, the rectilinear rectilinear eight non, millimeter non fisheye. Because I was talking about the eight yeah. before was the fisheye. Yeah, I guess I was sort of got that a little bit in the eleven to sixteen. I think probably the closest to that is probably on for say the five D would be the there's another version. There's the non sh- uh, shift and tilt version kind of version of there's a fourteen. I think the fourteen mil uh, Canon fourteen mil um, L glass prime non 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 shift and tilt is is apparently pretty amazing and probably comes closest to that look that you get with the eight R on a on a on um, say an Epic or you know on on Super thirty five. I don't think there is. I can't I can't think of anything. I wouldn't mind a doubler that I could use with lots of other glass. I've got you know the the, the regular teleconverter times two teleconverter is only useful for a couple of lenses i'd love just in the essence of being able to be really portable would be to have a times two converter a 1.4 that i know i could put on anything that i could put on the 80 imagine having you'd be able to put that on the 85 one two and you'd have a whatever 160 170 mil in an instant without having to carry another whole lens and you still have the nice shallow depth of field but obviously you're losing a bit of light but but the look's going to be the same he said Opening that jar of worms. Well, thank worms. you for your uh, for your <laughs> grilling on your ten questions on lenses. Well, I hope that's uh, thank you. your uh, desire that for us to discuss lenses. Um, <laughs> what you should do now is well, you just got the... my opinion. There's a billion other opinions. Yeah, there's... well, that's true. But I like your opinion. Okay. Hey, um, we should cross now to our motion theory interview with Mark. Uh, Mark Kazai is the director uh, who's done actually stuff like Black Eyed Peas and a bunch of other stuff. That's done this Fiat Spot. Now, this Fiat Spot. 
Um, Jace, have you seen it? Oh, I want to know what the budget is because there's a lot of work and there's a lot of days, there's a lot of posts, there's a lot of creative Two thinking. days in Mexico at the factory, as you'll hear in the interview. Yes. Two days shooting the matching actors back You're at... You're kidding. That's it. Four days shoot. Holy something. Holy crap. Have that a listen to the interview. That is utterly amazing. Mark's a really great guy. He was very generous in talking to us about it. They shot it on RED, on 5D, 7D and on GoPro. When I heard that, I said, hey... This is somebody I want to talk to. This is uh, for Fiat 500. Um, so I guess the thing that is uh, really works so well in this uh, piece is the way that it works with the audio. So I, I guess my first question is really what came first? Did you have the audio track, which is, after all, somewhat unusual, um, or did you uh, did you have imagery and you tried to sort of find some music that might work with it? You know, it, it, it definitely uh, was a bit of a back and forth and um, it, it was all original, but the concept of the music piece was original as as well as the visuals. So they kind of uh, came hand in hand. And you know, when we when I first pitched this spot and, and working with the uh, the creatives from the agency from Empato, uh, which was uh, Craig and Parag, uh, they they their their vision was to always to have this very seamless music video type of communication piece that really kind of uh, spoke to the brand and, and really made something kind of unique um, with the visuals. And, you know, a lot of people have shot and, and shown a car factory in the past, but they wanted to do it in a very interesting way and kind of show the connection between um, the owners. So we always knew that the music and the visuals would be very closely uh, knit together. Um, but when we went about it, uh, we really wanted to concept the music and really figure out what's gonna what's gonna help the visuals as as well vice versa because we knew what some of the visuals were gonna look like and feel like um, but we also knew conceptually that we wanted um, you know the brand itself Fiat was was an Italian brand um, the car the Fiat 500 was uh, you know it, it is a car from the past there was a very, there was an older Fiat 500 but the the new Fiat you know took cues from the past but really kind of used modern technology and modern um, sensibilities to create the new car so we kind of took those same ideas and wanted the music to kind of represent that and you know we, we talked about a lot of different things was it having uh, different genres of music mashed up together was it doing a remix of a song was it you know we threw a lot of ideas out there but but where we ended up was uh taking a classic piece of uh, italian music and then remixing it using you know a, a um using a a contemporary uh a group to remix it and create their own piece of music from it so i had inspiration from these old italian roots and then all, as well as as giving it a sense that really went with these visuals, which were these kind of robotic, you know, um, visuals from the car plant, as well as connecting the human aspect of it. So it it kind of went hand in hand, and even throughout the process, we shot some of the footage before we actually started making the music, and then we started making the music, and then shot the the human aspect of the film, and then as we kind of started editing, we went back and forth with the musicians and, and fine tuning it throughout. Because it was Vivaldi, right? Done by LA's Massive Music, right? Uh, yes, they, they they basically redid the old classic Vivaldi track, and we handed that off to um, a current group, and they remixed it. 
and unfortunately, I can't say who that group is yet because, uh, um, from from my understanding, they're they're the way the contract was done, and uh, the, the hope is that they're going to release the track in iTunes, or or maybe the group is going to release the track, and and hopefully that'll right. be out there so people can get it because it's a it's a really great dynamic track that was created. So now, in terms of the uh, sort of visuals. You're going to shoot in a factory, obviously, in this case, I think it was in Mexico. Um, how much could you script that? Because they're just health and safety issues working here in robots. You might say, oh, I got this really cool shot. We're down low. And it's like, well, you can't get there, mate, or you'll get like zapped, electrocuted, <laughs> and ripped apart. Yeah. It was uh, it was very, very challenging shoot. We were We were very much at the mercy of the plant. And more specifically, at the mercy of who was uh, supervising, who was on duty that day. Um, so there was definitely ideas, you know, scripted ideas going into it. Um, we were fortunate enough to have a scout uh, in the beginning of the process to go in and take photos. So we got a sense of what the place looks like, you know, what the machines are, what the different uh, process of actually building the car was. So that that kind of helped us. Um, at least start to develop ideas of connecting the human with the car and the plant. Um, but obviously, we, we really hadn't spoken to anybody there, and we didn't know what we can and couldn't, you know, could and cannot do. So it was, it was merely a bunch of concepts on paper and thoughts. And until we actually got to Mexico um, and were out there scouting ourselves, we started to, you know, ask a lot of questions and, hey, can we can we put cameras on your robots? And you know, really started pushing it. And and you know, we had a great um, uh, production company out in Mexico that we worked with, and uh, you know, it was all about befriending the people there and uh, getting them comfortable and and you know, not being so intrusive, but at the same time, you know, trying to get really dynamic shots and and you know we, we kind of prepped ourselves by bringing little small gopro cameras that you can kind of you know the, they're used for like um for like uh, exports you know like a uh, snowboarding and whatnot you know little cameras that we can put on machines and and kind of just brought the right equipment and asked the right questions and and you know really tried to to make it happen and uh it was funny like different days they said we could do something and then you know by the time we got there to shoot it somebody else said we couldn't so it was a lot of uh, back and forth and and depending uh you know the the mood that people were in uh they would allow us to do things but uh we were definitely at the mercy of the plant and you know when the line went down because of of uh you know for whatever reason we basically had to stop our production and kind of wait when you know there was a shift change we couldn't do much so it was uh very much at the mercy of the plant because this is a really significant thing for Fiat because they're re-entering the American market. So, so that makes this an important piece. And yet I can imagine in the scheme of making cars, it'd be hard to sort of say, you know, well, this is more important than, uh, than your entire production line <laughs> and your ability to make cars for the world. Um, so let's take a shot like there's a great bit of kind of sympathetic um, movement between the robots and the guy getting up in bed about 40 seconds in and he's kind of stretching and the robots are doing stuff so I'm guessing therefore from what you're saying that you would have gone awesome shot of the robot hey I got a great idea why don't we get the guy uh, stretching in bed I presume that wasn't that was kind of like a spot so was that any of that happening when you're there like were you kind of uh, coming up with ideas at the factory or was it really a matter of when you got back saying well, what can we make of this hey this shot looks like a thing we could do it was, it was definitely uh, a lot of everything it was it was kind of going in with with an idea of things that we thought could make sense we wanted to hit you know core ideas of of you know what fiat represents their their engineering you know they're very smart engineering their fuel efficiency so we had a lot of ideas about um, what kind of things we wanted to communicate. Now, you know, whether we would get the shot or not, we didn't know. So we went in there, 
with a lot of ideas. We, we scouted it with a lot of ideas, but like I said, we, we weren't quite sure what we were able to get a shoot, how we we're going to get our camera in there. You know, was the lighting going to be good enough because we, we were very, you know, we were a very small crew. We had to be a very small crew. And, um, and, you know, we only had a certain amount of time that we could be in there for. So a lot of it, again, was, was um, a lot of it was theory, and a lot of it was developing ideas on the fly. And then when we got back, um, it was continuing to develop ideas. Because, you know, I knew, that, I knew that we can script and kind of coordinate and choreograph the human movement more so. And the X factor would really be what we were able to get at the factory. And, you know, we were just so fortunate enough to meet a lot of great people and, and they were so welcoming towards us and really trying to help us out. I mean, you know, at times I'm, I'm sure we got people in trouble by, by uh, stopping a line at some point and getting our cameras inside the paint unit where we're basically stopped one of the cars from being painted so that we can mount cameras to the front and back of a car so it would go through the line and they wouldn't paint that car uh, but we would see the other cars around it getting painted. So there's things like that that we, we never even knew we could do that we were able to get that really kind of sparked ideas back at home when we were getting ready to shoot the second part of the of the video. So there's like two days at the factory in Mexico, two days presumably doing the um, the uh, actors with the uh, sort of yeah, know, getting ready correct, correct. performance. So now you, you mentioned that I think you had two GoPros on the robotic line, but you must have had a bunch of other cameras and stuff you're using. What were your camera choices and lens choices? Well, we we, uh, we wanted to take the red with us, um, most mostly because of the ability to shoot 4K and to show and uh, to shoot high speed. Um, so we wanted to have like like kind of our main camera. Um, that we figured that there was a lot of times we weren't going to be able to get close to things and that we wouldn't have the stability of using a super long lens. So we felt like shooting 4K would allow us to push in post and be able to capture things that we wouldn't necessarily get there. And then the, the, the second choice um, or, or our second kind of unit or backup cameras was uh, 5Ds and 7Ds. And um, Eric Schmidt, our DP, had just completed doing a film a complete uh, a film with uh, 5Ds. And, uh, you know, I was just really blown away with the quality and what he was able to achieve. And he, he had these really great rigs set up for it. And it really made him mobile and being able to jump in cars and really move around. And, you know, at some point, all of us were grabbing cameras uh, just because we were so <laughs> limited on time. Um, I was grabbing one. The agency creative was grabbing one. And it was just like, go out there and just shoot this stuff because it, it's just so accessible. And, um, you know, a, a lot of us are familiar with, with shooting stills and, and using that type of stuff. So it just it made us so it made us more effective being able to just kind of run around the plant. And at times we were able to kind of break away. They, they were trying to keep us together so we weren't all over the place. But, you know, at some point we were kind of sneaking around here and there and getting shots. And so, so having, you know, the 5Ds and the 70s and we, we shot a lot of time lapse as well. We set up time lapse cameras with those. So it really gave us a lot of versatility. Um, it was really cost effective and we had a, a, a great set, set of lenses that we could, you know, easily switch with, with, you know, the, the standard kind of ca uh, Canon package and that really allowed us the flexibility from wide angle to, to longer. And then we took the GoPros because we knew we wanted something that, Hey, if it melted inside the machine or, or, you know, <laughs> or got painted. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, a couple of them did, <laughs> did not survive. <laughs> um, but they, you know, those, those are great too. And it's, I was really, I was really impressed with the quality of those and, and, you know, getting them into the cut and being able to color them. Um, you know, they were just so effective. We actually ended up using, uh, the five D's for our shoot with our second leg of the shoot because, 
um, you know, we, we, we shot four different people and vine- um, stories in two days um, over one house. And uh, I, I mean, our shot list was, was crazy. It was like 130 shots a day. It was, it was just unheard of. So we knew we needed wow. something that was just really quick and really fast. I mean, we just, we just shot so much because a, a lot of this, again, we weren't quite sure how things were going to work together and line up. There was a lot of theory here, but not a lot of, you know, proven what's going to work. So my goal was like, let's get as much coverage as possible. Cause I knew, uh, I just, I had a, I had a, a really talented editor, Lenny Messina, who I knew was going to just make it happen. Um, and, uh, so, so my, 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 uh, my goal was to just get as much coverage as possible and really have the til- the tools to, to be able to be able to be quick and have flexibility, you know, having the 4k, having the smaller cameras that we can jump around. Um, so it, it was a, it was a really great set that, that Eric kind of brought to the table and it worked really well for us. Yeah. Well, obviously the, now how long did the whole piece go for? It was about, I mean, when it's finished, it's like what, two and a half yeah, minutes? Yeah, almost close to three, like two forty-seven, I think. Okay, so for that uh, two and a half minutes, well, let's call it 247, yeah. right? So that's like 5,640 <laughs> seconds, and you shot 36 hours. Now, I'm trying to do the math in my head on the shooting ratio to that, but Lenny seemed to have had his work cut out. Oh, from. man, uh, yeah. He actually, uh, we didn't sleep much for that time. Um, it was it was a tremendous task, and I, I <laughs> the look on his face when he when he when uh, when he when he just told me how much footage we had. Um, but we had we had great assistance help us out, really kind of sort uh, the different departments of um, you know the factory, and really started to really kind of help. Um, break things up to make it manageable. And and Lenny was just a machine, um, just you know going through everything really trying to tell the story um so it, it yeah it was it was it was a lot of footage um but it, it worked out well and i think having that pool let us let us find shots that we didn't think we would have or we never thought of until we were on the editing you know uh editing so it was, it was great yeah because just if my maths holds up your shooting ratio was like uh was pretty good really <laughs> like uh i think it's about 800 to one um <laughs> But that, I guess, reflects the fact that you need to be in this kind of job pretty darn flexible. Yeah, luckily Um, I didn't shoot film. (laughs) Yeah. But I think the other thing that I think is great about the concept is how you've managed to give the brand a personality while simultaneously showing the kind of high-tech and uh, kind of industrial nature of the professional production. It's it's an interesting balance. And then the the glue that kind of connects them is this really interesting... um, I guess it's editorial or effectsy transition stuff that you're doing, which basically, uh, you know, is not used that much these days. Basically, wipe devices, and uh, they kind of went out of fashion. And you've managed to kind of come up with a pretty um, original and fast-paced kind of transitional set of devices. Now, how did they come to be, and are they sort of off the rack, or did you have to make these up? I mean, how did they work? It's um, you know, it was it was interesting. Uh, I, in in the original pitch for in the original treatment for the job. Um, I really felt like uh, when the guys came to us, they, uh, the agency, um, Craig and Parag, they, they really had this uh, sense of, you know, we really want to use split screen. They thought like the split screen idea of being able to juxtapose these different worlds would be cool. So 
when I when I saw that, I wanted to take it further. And how how do we make this idea of of juxt, you know juxtaposing things kind of come together? And how can we really connect with the music more? How can we connect with the the kind of movement of the the robots of the of the kind of production line of making a car? So I I really kind of did a lot of research and pulled a lot of different techniques from you know different ways of split screen to kaleidoscopes to um, you know different ways of 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 time slicing and delaying things. So there was a lot of different things that I, I really felt can work for this. And in terms of how we developed it, 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 it was uh, it was a long process. It was it was getting a group of really talented animators to just kind of play and explore and, and really kind of get to the roots of things and, and not get so caught up in flashiness, but it was more about kind of design animation. It was, it was composition. It was how do you break up the frame in an interesting way. It's how do you juxtapose these two different worlds together. So a lot of it was getting the right images to put against each other, which um, through our editing process with Lenny, we were able to kind of start laying that groundwork. And then we kind of brought involved the animators and, and took what he was starting to do uh, to the next level. And a lot of these things were, again, very, very cleverly edited elements, as well as, you know, getting into After Effects and using a lot of their basic filters, but doing it in an in a interesting way. It's like taking, taking something that like tile and then repurposing it and recutting it and, and putting it through several different filters. And, and again, using that, that, that sensibility of design and composition to kind of bring it together. Um, Actually, I'm really glad you mentioned that because at the end, there's two that I thought were outstandingly well done from a compositional point of view. One is the two, the couple going to touch or going to hold hands, yeah. which was just a, 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 I literally had to stop and rewind it because it was so well done and, and it was so sympathetic, which is often not the case. It's often the, an effect like this, as you say, is flashy, whereas this was emphasizing the handhold. So it was sort of almost narrative driven to, to use that term. And then the other thing was uh, there's a great shot of the car where it kind of um, comes away to reveal the same environment, now sans car. And uh, in both of those cases, I thought they're really uh, innovative, kind of clean, and yet they're not particularly complicated in a mathematical sense. They just work really well. That, that was the key, and, and, and we really had to do a lot of editing, and, and that was the, the thing that we kept on, you know, I needed to drive through. Is like, I don't want to do effects just to do effects. They, they really need to just push the story forward and, and really kind of communicate something, whether it's, you know, um, the idea of behind Fiat or, or some of their design theories or, or whether it's com- connecting the human with the car and, and that whole concept of getting ready, of the car getting ready to meet the person and the person getting ready to meet the car. So it was, it was crucial to edit down and really be selective and, and simplify. I think a lot of times in a lot of our early tests, it just, it just felt like, you know, when an animator just was, was throwing an effect just to, to, to make it look flashy, just right away we knew it wasn't working. And, and, uh, and that was a hard part too, is really, is really kind of, it, the edit was always evolving. It never, it really never stopped. The edit never really stopped, even once the editor stopped working, because we were continuously switching and swapping shots and and trying different things. And um, you know, it, it was a process, and I think it could have kept going until they took it out of out of my hands. You know, it's just one of those things where it just you kept on. It was a, it was a, it was a tetris a game of Tetris. You know, where you just keep on changing the blocks and. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It, it was it was it was a lot of fun, a lot of work. But um, you know, like I said, I could I could keep on tweak, tweaking it. <laughs> I have thirty six hours to go to, so it's I'm never end of end of footage. 
Well, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us about it, and congratulations on the piece. It's really cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Mark, for taking the time. That was awesome. I'm just amazing. That is that is definitely in need of some very shiny, pointy awards. If nothing else, just for, for post and for editing, there's yeah, it's a lot interesting of post, isn't it? there's a lot of setups, a lot of shots in there, and it's beautifully put together. Some really it's quite quite impressive. And you know, apart from the fact that it's ama- it's very impressive, nonetheless, I think huge gold star for um, shooting that all in four days. That's there's so much in there. It's impressive. Well, now it's time to do gear. And now, the RC Gear Guide. And we have one or two bits of gear news? One bit of gear, unless you've got uh, anything, Mike. Uh, partly because uh, halfway through this project, I've got the chance to play with the uh, Zakudo Z Finder. Um, obviously, we did a bit of a roundup of, of, of um, EVFs um, when they sort of all started to come to market. The Red Rock Micro one, as we believe at this point of, stage, it, uh, point of time, is not... Uh, is not going to happen. Uh, Red Rock are not making their EVF, so that leaves us the Cineroid and the Zacudo, uh version. And uh, first of all, I mean, I thought, here, I'll show you. Like, I mean, you haven't really had a chance to play. I'll hand it over to you, Mike. Oh, thanks. Oops, they're not dropping Fire it all up and press that button on the side, the little red button on the side, and go into live view mode. Is this the thing we were playing with with Philip Bloom in Vegas? Uh, yes, yes, we did have a That's bit of a chance to have a bit of a play there, yeah. But the first thing you notice is it's incredibly light, and it's just built like a brick shit out, and I keep saying that. There's actually a cracker of a video on, on Zakudo's site where Steve Weiss, Steve Weiss the, the boss of Zakudo, gets up on this 20-foot ladder and drops it on the concrete floor two or three times in a row, and it... Uh, it just performs faultlessly. So it's been, from that point of view, it's absolutely rock solid. It's very, very light. The idea, I guess, behind it is the fact that um, you can maybe get your... A, a you can obviously switch... Uh, you can uh, run, a, run a, uh, a feed to Video Village and still have... Um, you know, still have an image coming to you, obviously, as soon as you... A Z finder will only... Um, be useful in so many situations um if you're having issue that's probably the hdmi cable mic which is my yes. only bane of contention out of the whole no you probably have to unplug the uh, camera just unplug both either side and put it plug it back in again i'll tell you hey but from the viewfinder itself is uh, really nice obviously you, it's designed to have a um to need a z finder you said how much it is already uh, it is well. There's obviously there's a few models. There's the snap version, whereby you just click on a Z finder on the on the back of it, just like you would on the back of your 5D. Uh, and then they have like a flip version, which has, I guess, the 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 Z finder you clip on will then flip on flip out of the way if you want to just turn it use it as a monitor. I'm leaning a bit more towards the flip, uh, yeah. partly because what I, the kind of rig I've got at the moment is something that I can go from shoulder to waist height to, I guess, doggy cam mode. And as soon as I take it below, you know, on, on the ground, I want to be able to snap the uh, Z Finder off and use it just as a monitor. Now, by doggy cam, you mean by dog just, height? Just holding it at, you know, running along the ground level, right. I guess, or at least ground, 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 ground level uh, shots. Okay. So it's a little bit, you know, in... Obviously, it's to the testament of the way these things are built. It's it's the Z Finder snaps on very firmly, which makes it you know quite hard not hard, but it's it's very firm to get that uh, Z Finder off when you need it. So the flip, I think, is probably the choice for me because it you can literally flip it out of the way, or flip it back down, and it's obviously it's positively locks down there. Um, I, I I think 
probably the biggest takeout for me, apart from the fact that it lets me get the camera a little bit more over my shoulder and lets me sort of, rather than have all the weight out the front, it lets me just put a little bit more weight behind, behind me. I think there's just that nice, nice, nice sub- subconscious difference from looking at a monitor. And I think, it, again, it sort of harks on that thing we talked about being primes and zooms. and just makes you think about things a little bit more or it just maybe puts you a little bit more in connected with your image um, than looking at a monitor, looking at a five-inch monitor, say, from two feet away. Something about having that image right up close to you sort of maybe just makes you think about the framing a little bit or makes you maybe think about the framing a little bit more or maybe makes you notice if you're wobbling the camera a little bit more than you normally would. I don't know. It's just a little bit more connected with the image. Um, what else can I say? Oh, it's, it's got obviously got um, peaking and false color and all that sort of stuff that I'm used to with my small HD monitor. It runs pretty much all day or most of a day on one little um, Canon battery on the back there. So it's using the same batteries that I'm running on the camera. It's pretty much put one on there and set it and forget it for the rest of the day. I don't even need to think about power. Um, but, you know, at, at the bane of all of this is, and it's not a fault of the EVF, is, is, is HDMI. It sucks, It's It it's really sucks. Um, uh, it's constantly... Uh, you know, I need to sort of plug and unplug the monitors to to the cables to make it sort of um, be, be friends again. It uh, must admit I only use HD SDI on the Epic. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, can I do something else that isn't really gear new? It's just gear new to me. Yep. Or is there more you want to discuss about your no, gorgeous no, Sakudo? This work for you. There you go. I mean, okay. You look at it later. It's not um, very good for radio, is it? No. Um, <laughs> I got a GoPro. You got a GoPro. Have I you used go- your GoPro? I have. I've used my GoPro. I freaking love the little GoPro. I put it. I drove a freight train over one of them, and oh, I sorry. Attached, I, dro- I put one down on the tracks of a. Uh, oh, so you did a freight train? Tra- no, no, no. Literally, the well, the clearance on a freight train we worked out is about two. You got at least a couple of feet under there. You could drive a easily drive it over any camera you wanted, but um, we, you know, we were, I wasn't really going to risk mine. Being in the middle of the job, I was going to risk my camera for it. Although I probably could have happily worked there. I put the yeah, put the GoPro down in the tracks and drove the train over. It's a bit of fun. And then I strapped. And then I was doing this shot where I was inside the cab of one of those, you know, those massive big what they call hall packs, which is those big the kind big of two hundred, the big Tonka truck, two hundred fifty whatever, two hundred forty tons of three hundred tons of ore goes in the back of these things, and uh, strapped that to the uh, just suctioned it to the to the the tipper yeah. the tipper and, and then I put it on another sort of massive big equally big like the the front end loader that loads those kinds of things strapped that to that up to, basically bolted it to the front of the articulated bucket of this thing and it was great it's good good of fun I could be in the cab doing dialogue in the cab and then you know suction suction that thing suction it's, it to the, yeah it's, it's terrific you can't adjust anything pretty much worst user interface in history and i love it today it is completely worst user at least i had the lcd on the back which oh my is, god how did they survive before which, that i don't know how you, you just had to guess that I was always that was probably before. maybe what made it a bit more fun it was really just kind of set and forget and what you get is it's all bonus because who knew because i said i'd used it before and i just wasn't in love with it because i couldn't line the shot up and i was like well this mm. is just stupid yeah now I, I get that if you were paris sort of gliding or sailing or jumping off things yeah. that you would have gone with it anyway because but for me I was like well I can't see what the shot is and then they came out with the LCD and I was right there and I love it well I sort of actually well maybe because we're at the back end of the, 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 the show and it's sort of you know maybe 
people are sort of drifting yeah. away. I'm going to another toy that I got, yeah, which is completely completely unrelated, is the Fuji X100 stills camera. Which why, is, why uh, do you want that? Why do I want it? Okay, well, just first of all, just look at it. Well, it looks. No, don't, don't even touch it. Just look. I'm not, I'm not touching okay. it. I won't even look at it. <laughs> I know it goes to 11. It goes to 11. It's just a gorgeous little... I mean, I just wanted a little sort of thing that I could it, chuck in the bag. It's a retro camera. It's a retro. It's a sort of, I guess, a very simple, simplistic sort of rangefinder. Um, it's, the, I guess, the sort of next generation version of, of a rangefinder without having to spend four or $5,000 on a on a, uh, a digital Leica. But what's it shooting? Is it shooting raw? Uh, shooting raw. It's shooting, uh, I guess, it's about... Sort of, I'm not sure how many megapixels it is, but it doesn't really matter. Enough? It's shooting enough. Uh, it does do. Lens? It does have a 720p mode to it, but is I it just a fixed lens? obviously yeah, you can touch it now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's got yeah, it's a fixed lens, 24 mil lens. You'll but hand it's, me your uh, bloody. It's SLR a super 35. It's a super. It's a super else. 35 size sensor. But it's an f2 lens, 24 mil f2. What is really interesting about it is now have a Mike just pick it up there again. Just can you see where that red lever is by yes. your finger there? Yes, if you have a look lever. through, that's what the most interesting thing about it is this hybrid viewfinder. Now if you toggle that, it switches to from optical to a digital viewfinder. Yes. So uh, so if you flick it out of the, if you flick that out of the way, it has a really interesting sort of overlays of yep. all your display and framing guide. And that's an optical if you now then take a photo, what it'll do is if you take a photo it then shows you the it's if you have a look keep looking through yeah, no, I did it. Yeah, me it shows you the digital preview so you can be an optical viewfinder but then we'll show you the digital preview of what you just shot or you can go completely if you really want to have a better much much better gauge of framing because there is obviously a little tiny bit of um there, there, there uh, are shots on here of offset. you and your private jet okay yeah <laughs> um it's uh, so I really like the, the, the hybrid viewfinder is gorgeous. It has a really nice kind of film emulation mode where you can kind of set it to obviously just a Fuji film stock. So you're shooting it. You're shooting looking through your pictures, black and white. Yeah, most of it black and white. Just Which I mean, I'm that's really obviously. But if you're shooting raw, is it, out, it they actually uh, black and white? No, it's it's. Um, I'm, I'm I think it's actually just uh, the raws are raw, raw with a lot. Yeah, the raws raws with a lot exactly. Hmm. Um, but I'm still. It's very early days, but I just love the fact. Obviously, all the all the controls are there. Physically on in your hand. Built-in ND. It has an ND. Yep, you can set this. There's a little right next to the eye. So uh, that one there is a little custom function button. So you can set anything to that. At the moment, mm. I've got the ND to that. So you can set the uh, pop the ND in there if you want to. Um, yeah, look, you know, it's there's sorry, probably I a, okay, there's probably lots of shots I've done without that I probably could have done with the iPhone. There's probably plenty of other little happy snappies that would do the same. Speaking of which, and we're running out of like time because we're way over. Um, <laughs> We posted up on Vimeo the Hoover Dam thing. Uh, yeah, I, I just tweeted that actually this morning. I realised you posted that. That was good fun. Which is a shot, basically. Well, it's a clip answering the question: Which camera should I buy? <laughs> which is which is all of them? <laughs> which answers none of that with them? It answers no them. questions except for who are these? If idiots? I bought an eighty-five and then bought this uh, Fujifilm stills camera, I would literally be sleeping in the garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't. And well, I don't have a garage. <laughs> <laughs> forced to, to sleep where garage. your garage would be if you had one yeah no well hey you know sometimes you just no i think it's like gorgeous that, but, um but yes if you want to check that out we'll put a link in the show notes yes but I it's will. uh jason shooting 
Jeff Huser shooting and myself shooting at Hoover Dam. Mm, yes, I'll put links it's to that. Epic versus 5D versus, versus iPhone. Versus the Super 8, app, Super 8 app on, on iPhone. Bit and fun, you know what? The number of silly. people that go, they like your stuff the most is extraordinary. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, bit of fun. So um, I guess that's pretty much it. We got a sort of Twitter shout out at the end there. Oh, well, if you fill, I will get you one. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do a non-Twitter shout-out at the beginning, at the end here, which is almost a blog shout-out, which is to... I know we mentioned him uh, a lot before, but friend of uh, the RC, Brooke Willard, uh, DIT to the stars, has a really nice... really nice. I'm, I'm very aware of his blog because if you like subscribe to it, I guess which you do with any blog, I guess you'll get a little email every time he updates it, which he seems to update... Very uh, frequently, um, brookwillard.wordpress.com, uh, and it's just you know he's uh, there's often not not always a lot of background to the photos, but just quite interesting sort of shots um, um, from onset, offset. Um, he's also someone, as we mentioned before, who's building a few accessories for Epic. He's uh, DITing on major gigs. And, uh, yeah, so it's just a nice, interesting kind of um, little blog to follow. Anyway, while I was filling for you there, Mike, uh, have you got a Twitter shout-out for us? Well, I actually am going to do uh, three Reality Digital. So the Twitter shout-out is actually three, as in the number three, A-L-I-T-Y-D-I-G-I-T-A-L. Because uh, 3Reality is doing a lot of really good stuff and uh, they've got a Twitter feed. They don't update it that often, uh, but they often put up things that I don't see otherwise, like their stuff they did at the Royal Wedding, which I didn't even know they were shooting in stereo yeah. at the Royal Wedding. Mm. So I guess for that reason, I'm going to tweet. It's not that it's very frequent, but occasionally they do really just interesting things that are left field. And of course, there's quite a few interesting projects that those guys are working on, so I'm going to keep an eye on that Twitter feed. That's the good thing about Twitter feeds. You don't have to have, um, you know, sometimes it's... It's not the frequency of the posts, it's the unusual nature of them. Yeah, exactly. Also, also I'm gonna, actually going to do a, a shout-out to my creative director on this job who's been following along with us, uh, Neil Lawrence, a wonderful guy, a, uh, I'm going to say, advertising guru. Um, oh, he is. He's incredibly well Neil T. Lawrence is his uh, Twitter feed. Let's see. I'll just as, as we travel along, I'll see if his uh, followers, if, we, if he gains any. Because uh, no, it's really, really. So if you want Jason charming, to be able to buy charming, lenses, lovely guy, and he's please. shooting shooting a lot of stuff from uh, t- twittering from from the shoot as well. There's probably more photos of me that he's taken and posted than than I've done of my of my stuff. So no, it's been so yeah. Neil T. Lawrence, why not chuck it in there? Um, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I think I'm just going to try and get up Neil's thing. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I guess I, we're going to be travelling for a little bit now, Mike. I guess I'm, I'm heading off for another couple of weeks and you're, you're, you're going from, from trip to trip. But we will definitely be... I think next time we catch up, uh, I'm going to be in Asia somewhere and you're going to be stateside. Yeah. That's the I'm, plan anyway. I'm heading over for Cinegear on the 4th in LA. At oh, yes. Backlight. Actually, it's 3rd and 4th, but mainly it's happening on the 4th. And I'll be there with uh, my good, very, very good friend, Jeff Huser. Um, and uh, Jeff and I will be covering Cinegear, obviously, for um, the RC. And now you'll be some other interesting place in the world, but I'm going to try and call you from there so that I can tell you about all the great lights that I've bought. Because <laughs> um, if we weren't discussing lenses this week, I would have discussed I might actually you. get you to get something for me, because I'm actually one thing I should have said, the stuff that I've had a gra- I know over time, but um, one of the 
absolute must-have stuff I've had in, in my bag has been uh, little, the little tiny light panels, the little tiny... Uh, the square one or the rectangular one? Uh, I guess it's rectangular, maybe about 120 mil or so. And by, which batteries have you got on the back of it? Uh, the ones we have at the moment has got the Sony in there, but when I buy my own, it'll probably... I guess if you've got the, if you've got the Canon version, obviously that would make, that would make sense. Um, but just a really small one, and it's... Uh, I guess, yeah, it's only about sort of six inches by two or three inches. Because I was looking at the square one. The, the larger sort of one takes, foot square it takes V-lock. no 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 well, I want that one as well yeah <laughs> you meant the one that is the SLR one that has um, it takes AA batteries right and it's it's kind of square it sits on top of the camera as opposed to rectangular yes the, the micro one I think they call it yeah there's a mini and a micro right like I don't yeah. even know the difference between the two but um, no this is this is light panel spelled L-I-T-E panels and um yeah so if you look at their website i have the i had a really early version of the one you're talking about which is the mini i believe the mini plus Mm. and my problem with it is uh it's a faulty back thing on it and what i was looking at was the micro series which is the one that looks like a kind of rectangle but yes the one by one that's the one i shot with in london uh, which obviously doesn't fit on a camera it's a yes but it's a great thing to have yeah but um you'd you'd get another micro would you uh, I actually working out which one we've got. We may not even have light panels, but the point, the point um, main thing is that it's just been the output of these, and they're all pretty much the same. Is that the output is just outstanding, and it's just really good. Just as the light, as the light falls, as you know, Mike, just as the sun goes down, that's sometimes really just this really lovely light where most people just sort of pack up their gear and just walk away. And after that sun's gone, you still got that lovely ambience in the sky. After the sun's gone down, it's the best Really light. nice ambience in the sky. Really nice ambience sort yep. of all around you on the ground. But it sometimes just doesn't quite get into the eyes. And you just want to have that little bit of sort of just, you know, because they've got their variable, um, you know, they've got the, you can basically dim them uh, without sort of changing the colour. And just put a little bit of stuff in the face and still keep shooting for another couple of takes. And it's really kind of gorgeous. And it's got you know they've got generally got like a ma- magnetic click on like an orange you know filter like a CTO basically to go for like daylight tungsten but sometimes if you're in daylight conditions that little bit of warm light you can maybe just put it right under them and it'll maybe f- or right above them and it might feel like it's a industrial fixture or a sodium vapor around mm. them and you can kind of justify a bit of lighting it but it's been it's been absolutely absolutely in the in in the bag from day one and has been an absolute life zone has let us keep shooting into the really lovely light at the end of the day so yes well, at the risk of running i'll, I'll find out what that is three hours i'm gonna have to wind <laughs> yep. it up See but ya. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much guys for being with us uh, i want to thank our new sponsors um Cook, who's joining the show, DRC. We really appreciate them. And also want to thank uh, producers and uh, researchers that prepare the show and do the stuff behind the scenes. So thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. And we'll catch you, hopefully, from the other side of the planet uh, in the week of the 6th. Until then, see you. There you go. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.